Good morning and good evening on this beautiful spinning planet. I'm so delighted to welcome you to the other side of midnight.com. Tonight, Richard C. Hoagland is sending you all his best wishes. This is Kinthea, the producer for The Other Side of Midnight. And co-hosting with me tonight is Jonathan Womack, one of our previous guests and very talented author who owns his own publishing company, the Charles River Press. And I want to thank our sound engineer, Keith Morgan, who's behind the scenes. Well, Tonight, we've got a really exciting show. I'm thrilled to announce that we've got Russell Targ and Lori Williams. Russell, welcome. Good evening. I'm happy to be with you. Okay. Russell Targ is a physicist and author, a pioneer in the development of the laser and laser applications, and the co-founder of Stanford Research Institute, SRI, Investigation of Psychic Abilities, in the 1970s and 1980s. SRI is a research and development think tank in Menlo Park, California. Called Remote Viewing, his work in psychic area has been published in Nature, the Proceedings of the Institute of Electronic and Electrical Engineers, and the Proceedings of the American Association of the Advancement of Science. Russell has a bachelor's degree in physics from Queens College and did graduate work in physics at Columbia University. He has received two National Aeronautics and Space Administration Awards for inventions and contributions to lasers and laser communications. In 1983 and 84, he accepted invitations to present remote viewing demonstrations and to address the USSR Academy of Science on his research. He is the co-author and author of nine books dealing with scientific investigation of psychic abilities and Buddhist approaches to the transformation of consciousness, including Mind Reach, Scientists Who Look at uh, Psychic Ability, Miracles of the Mind, Exploring Non-Local Consciousness and the Spiritual Healing, uh, together with Jane Katra, Limitless Mind, A Guide to Remote Viewing and Transformation of Consciousness. He also wrote an autobiography, Do You See What I See? Memoirs of a Blind Biker. His current book is The Reality of ESP and the Physicist, Proof of Psychic Abilities. As a senior staff scientist at Lockheed Missiles and Space Company, TARG developed airborne laser systems for the detection of wind shear and air turbulence. He retired in 1997, and now he writes books on psychic research and teaches remote viewing around the world. His latest film is Third Eye Spies, and uh, he'll be telling us all about that. So welcome Russell, I'm so delighted to have you on the show. Thanks again. I'm always happy to talk about my new movie, Third Eye Spies, which is just released. And well, super. And super. Good. Uh, <laughs> well, before we go there, I'd like the audience to get to know just a little bit how you came into this field. What drew you into this type of research? Well, I've been interested in psychic abilities since I was a child. 
There's my, mm-hmm. my, my vision has always been very bad. So it's naturally natural for a visually handicapped person to be interested in psychic abilities or distant perception since my ordinary perception is not that good. Oh, uh, like a, when you say a, a child, what age? Like how young were you? Uh, as a teenager, I was on stage doing magic, pretend magic. So I lived <laughs> in New York. So the mm-hmm. magic stores on 42nd Street were available to me. And I could chat with magicians and see what they did and then pretend to do mind reading on the stage. And the interesting thing about pretending to read somebody's mind is from time to time, in addition to the information you pull out of the goblet on the stage reading their questions, um, you occasionally get a flash of genuine information brought to you by ESP. So you can supplement your nasty trick by some psychic information that comes to you. And even people like Melbourne Christopher and the great Kreskin have agreed with me that occasionally a little ESP comes their way and allows them to supplement their trick with genuine psychic abilities. And by the time I was in college, I had given up doing stage magic and began to look into the real thing, which is what I'm doing now. So actually, did that surprise you when you started getting ESP signals? Oh, like something bit. real coming through? <laughs> I somehow, even for a little, <clears throat> even from a little childhood, I was aware that something like ESP existed. I don't know where I first got the concept. But I, I knew that I was uh, better at cards than a lot of people playing cards. I sort of mm-hmm. knew it was coming up. Hmm. Did and your friends think you were strange, or did they appreciate that quality? They're just children. They don't they don't know what's strange and what's real. Uh, by the time I was twelve in biology class, an older student, fourteen year old, brought in a deck of ESP cards. Uh, they Rhine cards, circle, square, stars, into our class and told us about ESP experiments going on. And that was uh, Robert Rosenthal, who became a distinguished psychologist at Harvard. But Rosenthal really lit my fuse regarding psychic abilities, saying there is such a thing to do. There is such a study. Now, I realized by the time I was in high school it was very hard to earn a living as a as a ESP researcher, so I went along studying physics, which was also very much of interest to me. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until I had done laser research for 15 years that I decided to gamble on a new career and st- in starting an ESP laboratory at Stanford Research Institute. That must have been so exciting. I mean, like, how did you even present that idea to them? Well, I I had two ways to do that. One of them, in my work at in lasers, I had done some work for the CIA, so they they knew who I was. So I had an entree, so I could go to the CIA in Virginia and say I have an idea for how to teach people to get in touch with their psychic abilities 
And wouldn't that be useful for a spy or an agent? And they thought that that was probably true because I knew that they were, I was friends with Andrea Puharic, who used to work for the CIA as a physician. So I, mm-hmm. I knew him as well. So I had was a, he in the CIA when you met him or you knew him from before? Uh, he was no longer in the CIA. Uh-huh. Uh, Andrea, Andrea provided information to the CIA in the early 60s because they had, Andrea was a brilliant researcher interested in some hallucinogenic mushrooms. Uh-huh. So I went to the CIA in early 72 and I was invited to a crucial conference that NASA held on speculative technology where I met Werner von Braun and the administrator of NASA and Edgar Mitchell. And I proposed to them that I had an ESP teaching machine that could help you get in touch with your psychic abilities, offering feedback and reinforcement. And it just turned out that von Braun did very, very well with my little machine. And that machine, oh. that machine is available now as a free app at the, uh-huh. at the, at the iStore. So you can download my ESP trainer, which was the first program we had at SRI. Our first, yeah. our first, the program really got started because I was able to produce an astronaut who promised us money for the program. So, oh. I, so I went with my colleague, Hal Putoff, another laser physicist, and we could go to the president of SRI and say, we've talked to the administrator of NASA and Werner von Braun and Edgar Mitchell. Here's Edgar Mitchell, and NASA's going to give us some dough. Can we start a program? And that was that did the tricks. Wow. And I'm sure Edgar Mitchell was really totally riveted on what you were doing. Was this before he started IONS, or had he already? He had, he had just come back from space. He was always uh-huh. in stuff. Edgar Mitchell had done a card guessing experiment from space where he would look at cards and certain people on earth were supposed to identify what he was looking at. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so he was, so he was a undercover ESP researcher mm-hmm. in addition to being an astronaut. Wow. So the little app that you were talking about on iTunes, cause I, I downloaded that last year and I have really enjoyed it. This is the same app that yes. you presented to them. No, no, I had the one I pre- the one that you get from uh I t- uh, the iStore or the iStore, the App Store. Yeah. Is much advanced that makes use of technology that didn't exist in nineteen seventy two. Nineteen seventy two I had a big clunky box uh with integrated circuits on the top. The what you get from the uh I I store is goes is an application rather than your telephone. It's, so it's, look, uh <laughs> we all now have access to an enhanced version of what you presented to NASA and Edgar Mitchell. And isn't that awesome? You can all download it, folks. <laughs> it's great. And it's free. It's my contribution. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. The free app from the iStore. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, I'm looking at this wonderful list of books and this journey you've had. Is there any, I know you've got your latest book out. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Well, The Reality of ESP is my last book and final book. But if I decided I should see all the material that we, we had been doing psychic applications for the CIA, that is finding kidnapped uh, agents, describing Soviet research, Chinese research, uh, submarines, downed airplanes, all kinds of things. And that was all top secret for many years. So finally, by the turn of the century, a lot of that got declassified because uh, my son, who's an attorney, and I petitioned the CIA to have that declassified under Freedom of Information. And with the help of a congressman, we got that declassified. So in my book, The Reality of ESP, I can then describe for the first time a lot of things that previously been classified. So uh, I'm able to tell them tell my readers everything I know about what's available psychically, looking into the distance, looking into the future. And I have a chapter on how to work with a friend and develop your own psychic abilities. And that book is called The Reality of ESP. Well, I'm sure that a lot of us would like to enhance our abilities to do that. So I'm really grateful you've written this book. So the basic book basically is what's available and how do I do it? Uh-huh. And like if someone reads this book, is there like any sense of how long it might take for them to be able to develop such a skill? Learning to do learning to develop psychic abilities is very swift. I've talked I've done workshops all over the world for many years now. But basically what I the answer to your question is it doesn't take a long time to see some psychic abilities. It takes practice to get better. I, I see. would frequently have a government official come to our labs, somebody who might give us money, and say, well, I want to see something psychic. What are you guys doing? And mm-hmm. I say, well, my partner has gone to hide somewhere in the Bay Area with your colleagues. So the 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 Major has given me his adjutant to go hide with my colleagues somewhere. So we don't know where they've gone, but they're at their place now. And I'd like you to describe the surprising images that come into your awareness. You say, well, I'm not psychic. And I say, well, give it a try. You're the only one here who can do this. If you just close your eyes and tell me about the surprising images, the shapes and forms that come into your awareness pertaining to where your friend is hiding. And that almost always works. Really? Wow. So I I basically sat in the dark for a decade helping people develop their psychic abilities. So you can say that the CIA paid for my spiritual development by leaving Mm -hmm. me in the dark for 10 years to talk to people about their psychic experiences. That's great. And it really taught you how to be a better trainer. I'd like to invite John, John to uh, jump in if you want anytime, dear. Yeah. I, um, I was just thinking, Russell, when you um, had to step in 
for one of your remote viewers and you drew the airport. Tell us about that. Well, that was a interesting. That's about two years into the program. We're working with the great psychic Pat Price. Pat was able to find where people were hiding. They hide in the Bay Area, anywhere at all, with my colleague helper. I don't drive because my bad vision. So I, I'm more the stay-at-home person sitting in the dark. So Pat was with me for nine days in a row, and his job was to describe where my partner was hiding. And with blind judging, that is, if we take all of his, all of his descriptions that he made with me and compare them with where Hal was really hiding, Pat was able to find my partner seven out of nine times. And the odds of one in a hundred thousand, very, very hard to get probabilities of one in a hundred thousand was just nine trials. So he did really very well. So it's as though Pat, as though Hal was kidnapped nine days in a row. And with Pat looking for him, Pat was able to find where the kidnappers took him seven out of nine trials. Amazing. So that was very amazing. So the in answer to your question, finally, uh, Hal went on vacation. He went to South America. And we thought that we could do long-range experiments in addition to looking around the Bay Area. Hal could go to some interesting place each day for nine days as he traveled through Colombia and South America. So... We weren't. We were not getting feedback from these, but so Price would describe things like a, <coughs> like a church or a volcano or a harbor or a market, and then on day five, Price didn't show up for some reason. <clears throat> but there I am sitting in my little shielded room. This is Russ Targ and Pat Price. It's twelve o'clock. We're describing where Hal put off his hiding somewhere in Colombia. Price doesn't seem to be here today, so why don't I describe my impressions of where Hal is? And I said, I see something like an airport on an island, and I drew the convergent lines of the runway, and I said, there's ocean at the end of the runway, sand and grass on the right side, and an airport building on the left side, and I drew that. And four days later, Hal came back, and I showed him that drawing. He said, that's amazing. And then he showed me a photograph that was taken of the place. And it looks as though I was standing up on a ladder at the end of the runway and simply drew a picture of exactly what you would get if you photographed it. So oh my God. my little one-off when I was pressed into business is as good as many, many famous remote viewers uh, who visited our laboratory. Mm-hmm. So the point of that story is not my own psychic prowess, but that remote viewing is so easy that even a scientist can do it. Yeah, You know, what struck me uh, watching your film is that Pat Price, you know, we're all here on a spiritual mission on Earth, and um, he was drawn to <clears throat> police work and 
you know, he, his psychic ability that he really, I don't think he was that aware of, um, but he, it would help him solve crimes. And, and then, you know, you two met up and. and oh, what got him a job at SRI is he came with a scrapbook showing how, showing his psychic ability to catch criminals. So uh-huh. he described how he was a police commissioner of the city of Burbank. And he would describe to the uh, dispatcher of the, of the police station, I see this fright, frightened, a frightened man who's gone off somewhere, and he could tell a squad car where to go to catch the criminal. So he <laughs> was many years as a policeman, and he knew about our work at SRI, and he said, I, I would like to work with you. I could be helpful. That's awesome. What an exciting feel. You must have been so satisfied to be such a pioneer because this is opening the door for the world to become more conscious. I just think it's amazing. Well, I was very happy to invite people to get in touch with their own psychic ability. It's the idea that we all have this ability. And the, the psychic ability is not new age. The, our program started now 40 years at SRI, but the Hindus knew about that at the time of Patanjali, 400 years before Christ. As Patanjali, the sutras of Patanjali still available at your bookstore. Uh, he talked, he had a whole chapter devoted to looking into the distance, looking into the future, diagnosing illnesses, and how to treat people with psychic healing. That was 2,400 years ago. And the Buddhists were also very uh, strongly in favor of this. Uh, both Padmasambhava, who brought uh, Buddhism to Tibet, does Padmasambhava invented Tibetan Buddhism. He's a historical figure in the 800s. Padmasambhava huh. wrote a book called "Self Liberation Through Seeing with Naked Awareness." And he thought that naked awareness is our nature. And 400 years later, a great Buddhist master, a teacher, Longchen Rabjan, who his friends call him Longchapa, wrote a number of books under the general title, The Basic Space of Phenomena. Sounds a lot like a physics text. It does. Where he said 800 years ago, Um, your nature is timeless awareness. That means you can expand your awareness into time and into through all space. And because your consciousness is timeless, you're free from cause and effect, which is to say, it's a description of how we can have precognitive dreams. Uh Many of us have dreams about things that come true the next day. So you're, the dream you're having on Saturday night is caused by the event that takes place on Sunday. So Sunday's elephant huh. garden is the cause of your dreaming about elephants the previous day. And Pablo Zimbabwe said that's to be expected. So your book then has really been in a certain way introducing this Buddhist thought and to the modern mind and documenting how it's like you say, it's not really new age. It's not woo woo. It's very grounded in, in 
real laws of the universe. And that that's would you say that's what your work has been about? That's my that's my goal. My goal. There's um mm-hmm. people ask me, well, who is your teacher? And I spent a lot of time sitting with a American spiritual teacher named Gangaji. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. She was a student in the, in the lineage of Ramana Maharshi, but the man I really love is Lonchapa because he was a genius in his time. 800 years ago, he said that when you move into these timeless realms, if you want to describe and experience what's there, you have to give up your desire to name it and grasping. Naming and grasping is the enemy of direct experience. And that's exactly what we teach in remote viewing. If I'm asking our government visitor to describe where someone's hiding, I say, and you mustn't try and guess where he is, because guessing is a analytical function. Don't tell me he's at Macy's. Tell me what you're experiencing. And long show. Uh, so it's more of a visceral thing rather than an... That was understood 800 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just... Um, it sounds like you're taking and you're shifting from the linear left side of the brain to the non-spatial right side of the brain kind of activity. Definitely, like a more, vis, a more visceral approach rather than an intellectual... Remote approach. viewing is available and it's easy to do, but it's not analytical. That is, mm-hmm. The thing that's ironic is, that, is what people say, if you're so psychic, can you uh, tell me the playing card I'm looking at, the serial number on my dollar bill? And the answer is, no, I can't do that. I can tell you what your house looks like or uh, where you're working or where your girlfriend is working. I can tell you a lot of surprising things, but I can't read. Pat Price could read. Pat was one of the very few people who could actually read hidden things, along with Uri Geller, who was able to do that as well. But very few people are willing to stand up and, and try or show the ability to read at a distance. In general, even our best psychics um, can describe things in great detail, can make architectural drawings of hidden things, but not read. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm so curious, and we're going to be coming up on break soon, but I'm, you were talking about Gangaji and then your expansion into Buddhism. Was this like in your later years, or you were you already at SRI, or was this before you went there? Like where in your journey did you start opening up to ancient teachings? Well, as a 20-year-old, I was a graduate student at Columbia, and I had a friend who was an enthusiastic member of the Theosophical Society in New York. So I often went with her to hear lectures at this nice brownstone in New York about Annie Besant and Charles Ledbetter and uh, Helena Blavatsky. Uh-huh. And the Theosophical Society is, of course, very sympathetic to psychic abilities. They think that that's just part of life and part of meditation. So that was, uh, although I was well acquainted with the American research in parapsychology, this was my introduction to uh, mysticism 
and mm-hmm. meditation. Mm-hmm. So I was I was a childhood theosophist. There are very few like that. Right, and that was yes, I remember a long time. Um, hmm. We're about to go to break, so I don't want to jump into a new topic here. I I do want to let our audience know that they are listening to the other side of midnight, and our wonderful guest tonight is Russell Targ, who founded the SRI Institute in Stanford, and he's telling us about his experiences along the journey of becoming a very highly sought-after psychic and trainer of remote viewing and we're also going to be joined in the second hour with by Lori Williams, who is also a remote viewer, and it will be a lively discussion. So, Keith, I believe you're going to bring music on. Anytime the show tonight is Psychic Spies of the CIA. And you're on the other side of midnight.com. Catch you on the other side of the break. Anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. the other side of midnight.com to get to our show page. The show tonight is psychic spies of the CIA and our guest is Russell Targ and Lori Williams. 
And my co-host, this is Kinthea, the producer. My co-host is Jonathan Womack, and we're having a very lively discussion with Russell, who is, I would say, one of the major forces that has taken psychic research from the woo-woo to the very practical science-based Practice by NASA. Practice, that's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Employed by NASA and aerospace uh, companies, and uh, I want to uh, open the conversation up here, Don. Uh, Sure, I I have a couple of questions for Russell that um, I thought of while watching your documentary Third Eye Spies, which I enjoyed very much, and you can purchase that. on Amazon and anywhere else uh, for our listeners. It's well worth the, the money and, and the time. It's a two-hour documentary. And um, Russell, I was just wondering what you thought um, happened to Pat Price. Do you think, well, why don't you tell us what happened to him and just uh, how strange it was, how it went down and they got rid of him and just, you know, it was all covered up and it just was very suspicious to me. Well, Pat Price was the most amazing psychic that we ever worked with. He functioned day and night as a psychic person. When we would go out with him at lunch, he would say, Nixon is going to be gone. His days are over. And I said, oh, my God, does that mean we're going to get Agno? He said, oh, no, Agno is even a bigger crook. He's going to go first, and then Nixon will go. And all of that was before anyone knew about either Nixon or Agno going. And during the um, Israeli-Egyptian war, he said, don't worry. This war is going on long enough. The Americans are giving... uh, radar detection squelching equipment to the Israelis so they will no more be shot down by the uh, Egyptian weapons. And that was top secret information that he got out of the airwaves just for sitting in his war room at home. And he did many, many, the last thing he did with us, we were asked to describe something going on at a R&D lab in Russia. And Price described that He's, as he's laying on the roof of a building, a giant crane is rolling back and forth over his body in the sunshine. The huge gantry crane shaped like an A-frame. And he drew a picture of that that turned out to be an exact replica of a giant A-frame crane that was in the Soviet Union that we could see from satellite photography. And he also described and drew 60-foot diameter spheres being fabricated underground that the Russians were interested in making a particle beam weapon out of to shoot down the American satellites who were taking these pictures. And all that turned out to be true. The spheres were not discovered until a year after Price's death. So the only way he could get that information is by direct clairvoyance. There was no one's mind to read. He could not look into his future because we didn't know about it until the following year. So Price was able to describe things uh, far away with great accuracy. In fact, the most important thing that we know about psychic functioning is that it's very harmonious with the modern ideas of non-locality. 
because psychic abilities do not degrade with distance. It's no harder to describe something in Soviet Siberia than it is to describe something across the street. Absolutely. In fact, it might even be easier. And we found that it's no harder to describe a future event than it is a con- contemporaneous event. For example, we were able to successfully forecast changes in the silver commodity market. It made a lot of money 1982 after I left SRI trading silver futures. We could talk about that later. But it's I, very, I... very important to know for you to know that Psychic abilities are coherent with the modern ideas in modern physics, the ideas of non-locality, where your consciousness can enter space-time independent of distance, independent of time, and that neither going into the future nor into the far distance interferes with your psychic ability. And Price knew that. In fact, I have a question. uh, I was trying to answer John's question. Uh, So Price was so successful that the CIA hired him away from us. He was the CIA was nervous, particularly that Pat Price and I were having too good a time in the film. We have the thing that makes the film unique is that we have two CIA operators on screen saying, yes, we were polygraphed, and what Targ says really happened. We saw the psychic ability that it was useful to us, and with that, they whipped him out of California and put him into a farm near the CIA where he was pretending to be a farmer, but actually, we know that he was working every day with Ken Kress doing operational CIA tasks together with two other people we had trained at the CIA. So it's as though there's a little psychic book club in the CIA where Ken Chris was giving them tasks, and the people doing this were the two people that I trained for the CIA plus Pat Price. Now, five months after Price went to the CIA, he mysteriously died, which is what John was asking me about. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned that he saw the crane going over his body. Are you saying that's how he died, or that was like metaf- You know, like he was just projecting. Very often, a remote viewer will go to the place and can experience what's going on there. I may have not said that very artfully. Price said to me. Uh, as we were in our little screen room, uh, you want me to describe this place? Well, I'm lying on a building at this R&D site. As I'm lying here in the sunshine, I can feel as though this giant crane is rolling back and forth over my body. It's, it's a huge crane. It rolled over his body and over the entire building. Mm. He described that this crane is so big that it has two tracks one on either side of the building. This giant crane completely covers the building and can roll back. It wasn't rolling on top of Pat. The, the so crane, would you say he became the building? Was he like experiencing it from the building's point of view? No, he said, I've gone to the site and I'm now lying on the roof of this building. Mm-hmm. That's his first experience. 
Because while mm-hmm. I'm lying here, I look up and I see this giant crane is rolling back and forth over me. Mm-hmm. Which is he, like he would see the shadow of the crane, but he actually mm-hmm. saw the crane because he drew it very accurately. Well, he saw a person uh, walking by and the person uh, came up to the axle of one of the wheels of the crane. That's that's how big the crane was, right? Wow. Yeah. Now, we don't know what killed Grice five months after he left SRI. Um, Nobody we, remote viewed it? You couldn't remote view it? Not to, to the best of my knowledge, nobody has done that. Mm-hmm. They, they could have done that. That there would be a good task to do. But uh, that's sort of an obvious thing to do, but nobody did it. Mm. Uh, CIA said that he di- died mysteriously. Could have been a heart attack because he had a heart condition. But mm-hmm. of course, see, when I was working with Price, I thought he was an old man. I mean, he was in his 50s. Now I'm 85. Price in his 50s seems like a young man. I don't think <laughs> I don't think he's 30 years he died. Um, food poisoning. Well, could it, he thought about it, he thought it might have been food poisoning, might have been the Russians, might have been a heart attack, might have been the CIA. Because what the CIA discovered is that Pat Price was a Scientologist, and he was an enthusiastic member of the society, and. He had an auditor, which is like a confessor, and every day he would tell his auditor what he was doing with Ken Kress, all of which is top secret. Like today we're spying on the Libyan embassy, and I penetrated the code room, and that was in, that's in our film. And it was also in a document, and a whole pile of documents that were found by the... Was, Let's say the FBI found a whole bunch of documents at the Celebrity Center, Scientology Celebrity Center, showing and recording all the all these top secret things that Price did with the CIA. So the CIA, if the CIA knew about these at the time, they would have been very shocked because it would mean that they're super spy, the Superman was a double agent, that he was doing operational stuff for them at CIA headquarters and then going home to his farmhouse and telling the Scientology community what he was doing. Now, there's no doubt because the documents have been seen, and Ken Kress, who's the CIA operator in charge, wrote an article about it. There's no, no doubt that Price was indeed telling the Scientologists about this top secret material. I do not know that the I do not know whether the CIA was aware of that at the time. Everybody was aware of it two years later when the FBI broke into the Scientology, the Celebrity Center. Mm-hmm. So now my opinion is that. Uh, Pat Price was not a trained spy, so not knowledgeable of the spy craft. So if the CIA was really doing top secret operational stuff with Price, they were probably 
listening, tapping his telephone or surveilling his little house, or you would not leave. See, they took him away from me because he was afraid that uh, I was too enthusiastic about ESP and I couldn't be trusted with somebody who was essentially omniscient. So uh, they're a dangerous pair. You know, sort of lock up the super spy mm-hmm. and keep him a couple of miles away from CIA headquarters. So they were worried about price. So I imagine, I'm guessing, that the CIA knew that Price was handing over stuff to the CIA, to the Scientologists. So I'm so curious. That would be a big problem for them. Yeah. I'm really curious. Um, with these kinds of abilities, are, are you aware of your own mortality? I mean, like, do you think that he realized that he was in some kind of danger? Or do you get premonitions about your own mortality? Or how does that work? You certainly do get premonitions about his own mortality. And on Pat Bryce, on his way to the West Coast for a visit to us, bought a million dollars in term life insurance, which he gave to his wife at the airport. And he said goodbye to a lot of his friends in a strange way. Some have spoken to me about it. So it seems very likely that Price was uh, afraid that his life was near its end or somebody going to try and kill him. Now, being a spy for the CIA and spying on the Russians during the the heat of the Cold War might make anybody think that their life was in danger from the Russians. Because the Russians were known to be killing people with uh, nerve agents and uh, other things at that time. So uh, anybody would think that their life might be in danger. So um, to answer Jonathan's question, uh, no, nobody, I will say, I, I don't know what killed Price. I don't, I don't know how he died. Do, uh, has his wife or anyone come forward to say that um, oftentimes the departed will come to you in a dream? Uh, to to let you know that they're okay and um, you know that kind of thing you've probably heard of that and I, I wondered if Pat Price had came to anyone his wife maybe in a dream have you heard of any such instances I, I have not heard of okay I've not heard of any, anything like that hmm. well another question that comes to my mind because you were mentioning how when you're in that state of receiving information, it's out of time. So you can see the future as well as the past. So I would think that in that state of consciousness where you're tapping into the field, then you don't really perceive leaving the body the same way someone who doesn't have that awareness. Like you're aware of your continuity after leaving this body and Maybe death isn't the same kind of scary event that it might be for someone who's not, you know, focused in that direction. That's right. A person who thinks that they're made entirely of meat and potatoes is in a much more fragile state than a person who thinks that their nature is timeless awareness. And the Buddhists are very conscious of that. If you think that, who you are is what you see in the mirror in the morning. You're in for a lot of suffering, as you know. 
Mm-hmm. But if you think that uh, you're not a body, but you're really this timeless awareness, you're this consciousness that can travel anywhere in space and time and survive death, then the process of growing old is not so frightening. So then your book, The Reality of ESP, that would, in a in a certain way, enable all of us to be able to reframe what death is about and and not only for our own personal death but for those around us it would i would think it would strengthen an awareness that helps people to live a better life you know it's not just about getting some fancy talent oh i can do esp but it's it's more about a whole mind shift of who we are who we really are and how that impacts how we live our lives. Well, the Buddhist uh, on Buddhist trajectory is not necessarily a better life. The Buddhists are very interested and devoted to helping you diminish your suffering. The Buddhists mm. they look around and say there's a lot of suffering on the planet. Uh, the Buddhist Buddhism is not really a religion. First of all, I, I also can't speak for what Buddhists believe. That I'm not really a a Buddhist teacher or scholar. I've been a practicing Buddhist for many years, but I can't speak for the organization. But as I understand Buddhism, it's not a religion at all, but it's a philosophy. It's a way of viewing things. And Buddhism gives you a lot of tools to diminish your suffering. I mean, we live in a crazy age right now with all sorts of uh, untoward, peculiar things going on with our government, with the world at large, and we're all mortal as well, of course. And Buddhism gives you some tools to deal with the crazy, to not internalize. Just because crazy things are happening around you, you don't have to make them, you don't have to allow them to make you crazy. What would you say is the most powerful tool that you've, you know, experienced from Buddhism to address this crazy world? Probably uh, one of the things that causes suffering is people can't go to sleep or can't meditate. They haven't found the off switch. Mm. And they live their life through this constant bubbling uh, of noise in their awareness. And Buddhism and Buddhist meditation gives you some tools to quiet your mind and allow you to go to sleep. I think is a very healthy thing to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Very practical too. I've never, I've never. I mean, it's an interesting question you ask. I've never heard anyone articulate that one of the benefits of Buddhism is it allows you to go to sleep. You um, <laughs> would say you just did. <laughs> but I, I think that that's a is a godsend. That's one of the benefits of being able to quiet your mind and meditate and stop the ongoing chatter, which you also have to do in order to do remote viewing. Mm. Now, one of the subjects on this show that's very popular, Russell, is Mars. And, you know, I know that Ingo Swan, he took a ride by Jupiter. And then when he got home, he painted it. And he's the first one to see the ice crystal rings of, of Jupiter. And, I was hoping there would be more remote viewing of Mars, and I seem to recall some years ago that there 
there was some remote viewers that, that did, uh, they viewed Mars. Um, can you tell us more about that? Well, I can't tell you anything about Mars, but Ingo's remote viewing of Jupiter is very important because we had a NASA contract for my little ESP trainer, and the NASA administrator who was with us said, you know, we're sending the Pioneer spacecraft to Mars. No, we're sending the Pioneer spacecraft to Jupiter very shortly, Ingo. Can you tell us whether we're going to see anything surprising when we get to Jupiter? And Ingo sort of put down his cigar, looked up at the sky and said, yeah, as a matter of fact, when you get to Jupiter, you're going to find that it has a big fat ring of ice crystals all the way around it. And you'll be very surprised when you see that. And when you get there, you can send me a photograph taken by the spacecraft. And my friend George Pezders, who was our contract monitor, said, Ingo, you're, you're thinking of Saturn. Saturn is the one who has the ice crystals. And Ingo is never one to suffer fools gladly. He says, George, <laughs> I've been looking at this a universe for 50 years. Let me tell you, I know the difference between Jupiter and Saturn. I'm telling you about a new ring which has never been seen before. And that was indeed found by the Pioneer spacecraft. And as a scientist, the interesting thing <clears throat> that I came to realize later is that we're sitting in our lab in Palo Alto, and somebody says, we take a look at Jupiter, tell me what you find. He just looks up the sky, and says, oh yeah, there's a ring of ice crystals around Jupiter. And Jupiter is 500 million miles away. So oh, Ingo, my did, gosh. Ingo did not have to wait for the image of Jupiter to show up in his psychic awareness was instantaneously hmm. available. Yeah. And we think that that non-local connection describes a lot of psychic abilities we see. You know, your interest in the space program has like really been one of the things that's propelled the science forward. And I'm so curious about how you met Richard Hoagland and at Cape Kennedy in 75. The historic Apollo Suez mission. Now I'm sorry to say that I don't remember meeting Richard Rick Hoagland. Mm. That was supposed to have happened in '75. Yeah, uh, you met a famous Russian poet, Yevdyshenko. I think was his name. Where did that? Where did that happen? Uh, Cape Kennedy. I could be wrong. I just started remembering something like that. I was at Cape Kennedy in 85 when I was building lasers to track the spacecraft. So Mm -hmm. I definitely had a connection with NASA, and I was at Cape Kennedy, but I don't recall these meetings. Hmm. That's all right. I sort of seem to remember something like that. But so... You've been with the space program since 75, is that, or even earlier? Well, I met with the administrator of NASA in 1972. Mm-hmm. That's when I met with the NASA administrator, Werner von Braun, and Edgar Mitchell at this auspicious conference on, specul- on speculative, speculative technology 
where Von Braun loved my ESP trainer, and that's how that it was in May May of 1972 at St. Simon's Island. I met with a bunch of NASA administrators. They liked our program, and that was really the beginning of the of psychic research and SRI. Now, I should say at the outset, I, I'm not a uh, pioneer at SRI. I did not organize SRI. SRI was started in the 40s by Stanford mm. University. I was co-founder of the SRI ESP program in 1972 with Hal Putoff. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, SRI had been there 20 years before I came along. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting things that happened, our film opens up with our finding a downed Russian airplane through the airplane, a uh, Tupelo bomber crashed in Africa, and it was a reconnaissance plane full of code books, and the CIA was super anxious to find this downed airplane, and they couldn't find it because it crashed in the jungle, and the satellite photography of the United States couldn't see through the jungle canopy. So the CIA came to us and said, can you find this downed airplane? And our psychics working with other psychics from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base were able to develop the coordinates of where this plane was. And the CIA then dispatched a helicopter, went to those coordinates, and as they landed the helicopter in Zaire, at our coordinates, they saw people dragging the airplane sheet metal out of a river just where they took, just where one of our, we worked with a man and a woman. The woman provided the coordinates. The man drew a picture of how the airplane had crashed into the river. And Jimmy Carter opens our movie. We open Third Eye Spies with a recording of Jimmy Carter saying, Yes, the most amazing thing that happened to me as a president was the psychics in California were able to find a downed airplane in Africa and nobody else could find it. So that that was our tip-top psychic event that we opened the film with because nobody could have given us that information. That is, nobody knew where the plane was. The pilot had bailed out and the plane went hundreds of miles after he bailed out. So it was a total secret that nobody could have whispered uh, in our friend's ear where the plane was, but he was able to mark a map and say, go here and you'll find the airplane. And that was successful. And Jimmy Carter says the most amazing thing that happened during his presidency. Well, I hold that thought because we're coming up on break now. Thank you, Russell. You're on the other side of midnight. The show tonight is Psychic Spies of the CIA, and we're speaking with Russell Targ. We'll catch you on the other side of the break.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com 